No mai, haere mai, piki mai, kāke mai, kia ora e te whanau. I'm Guy Espiner, you're with me today on the panel on RNZ National. I'm in for Wallace Chapman this week. And today, if you thought the bottom had been reached in the housing market slump, new figures may make you think again. House prices are now 10% down on a year ago, we'll talk about that. Are we playing a dangerous chemistry experiment? And a physics experiment and a biology experiment too. The three basic science disciplines are left out of the draft new school curriculum. Or are they just hiding in new and innovative ways? Also, we talk climate change. Monday was the hottest day ever recorded on planet Earth. And the hot air around gangs. A breath of science is blowing through the debate. Now, what does the Prime Minister's chief science advisor say about tackling the gang problem? And if you're heading to Portugal... Leave the boombox at home, or you could find out the answer to a $64,000 question. We'll have more on that story with me on the panel today. Uh, Peter Dunn, a former United Future leader and minister in several governments. Good afternoon to you. Hi, Guyan. And Georgina Stilianu is also with us, a former journalist who made the leap into being a press secretary and then a ministerial advisor. Uh, and is now at BRG, where she's a lobbyist. Or do we say it's government relations, do we say, Georgina? Oh, look, you can call me what you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, we may do. Um, you're specialising in communications and media, so we're pretty, we're, pretty, uh, we're pretty up on the political expertise with you two today, aren't we, in Wellington? Indeed. Welcome to both of you. And look, we're both in Wellington, so uh, yeah. you're missing out. I am. People still think I live in Wellington. I get all these emails saying, oh, why don't you pop along to this, because you surely live in Wellington, I think. I'm uh, just heavily associated with, with politics. Mm. But uh, there we are. So thanks very much for joining us today. We'll get uh, your views on what's been occupying your minds this week shortly. But we're going to start with the story. And, uh, okay, they both sometimes have to clean up after humans have made a mess, but that's really about where the comparisons normally end. Plumbers are not usually mistaken for police, nor the other way around. Unless, of course, you've decked out your plumbing van to look very much like a police wagon. It was a mum of two who got a massive fright when a van started following close behind her, thinking the police were on her tail. She finally realised that it was a van from Polite Plumbers, decked out in the blue and yellow and white design we all know so well from law enforcement. Well, Polite Plumbers is owned by Steve Tablanch, and he joins us now. Kia ora, welcome to the panel. Oh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I mean, I've looked at your van. It does look remarkably like a police wagon, don't you reckon? I guess that's the idea, yeah? Yeah, it it was the idea, yes. Yeah, and why did you do that? Well, that's a good question. Um, (laughs) When I set out to create the company, I was thinking, what would I use as a brand that would be really visible and that would stand out and that would be recognisable and that people will remember for a long time. And well, you've, you've got yourself on the radio with it and, and, and in the spin-off today, I see, so you've, you've been getting some media attention. Yeah, which is good. We do appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're honest about it. Um, what about... Have you had any uh, calls from the police? Because I don't, I don't know... I don't know. I don't know, Steve. I don't know whether they'd be too thrilled about this. No. As long as you don't break any laws, um, then... The police won't be coming knocking on your door. <laughs> yeah, well, they, I don't know. They may need some work from you. But um, <laughs> I, I, this um, th- this woman who's quoted in the spin-off story, which is where we found this, Alex Casey, uh, wrote the story on the spin-off website uh, this yes. morning about this um, uh, woman, Summer, who was um, 
who is driving along. I mean, she got out of it. Got quite a fright to see uh, herself being being tailed by this police van. Yeah, we get that a lot. You get it a lot, okay. Yeah. Uh, you refer to it as a community service, I, I do believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They should be paying us. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if you want to bring one of those to Wellington, I have a, um, a two-year-old son who's who, who thinks the only category of humour is, is toilet humour, so I think he would oh, quite cool. enjoy the um, the blue figurines yeah. squatting over the dunny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're all thinking about uh, franchising the business. Yeah. I remember, Steve, when I was growing up in Christchurch, a Venetian blinds firm had their vans all emblazoned with caution, blind man driving. And when you see one of those either approaching you or near you, it does make you stand up a little bit, a bit like I imagine your vans do. Yeah, yeah. What's the, uh, what's the polite um, reference to? You sound like a fairly polite chap, actually. Yeah, we are extremely polite, but it was, it's actually just a play on the police. It's actually just to go with the branding of the van and um, to make it work. You know, it's got to be a package. Yeah. Now, how mm. many va- how many van- how many of these vans have you got uh, doing the rounds? We have seven vans. Wow. Okay. Oh, and what's yeah. the public reaction? The public mostly just laugh at us, yeah. and um, <laughs> kids love the design. Kids refer to it. You know, they giggle and they point to it and. Um, to them, it's very funny seeing the little man on the toilet. <laughs> it's very yeah, I guess, I guess if you turned out turned up on mass um, at a particular sort of venue, you you might uh, get a bit of un, unwarranted attention, possibly. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, what what about your drivers? I mean, do, do they enjoy it? Do they enjoy oh, driving around in these? Oh, they they, they actually do um, because they get a lot of laughs and people. Um, enjoying the brand and some people like it some people don't but they don't wear matching uniforms do they um we all do have matching uniforms but it looks nothing like police <laughs> uniforms we've well, got the baton but i guess it's got a rubber sucker on the end of it it does indeed <laughs> <laughs> hey thanks very much for your, for your time um this afternoon steve steve to blanche the he owns the uh, polite plumbers i mean it's it's just that you know when you see the logo too polite it's only the the t uh, in place of the c it, it's pretty i could see um you, you know have a, have a google if you're listening mm. um because it's it's it is pretty close to the the police library isn't it Oh yeah, it's very eye-catching though. Like yeah. it does, it does the job it's intended to do. It's pretty um, great marketing, and it's, it's nothing that yeah. people aren't playing, paying advertising firms to do all the time. Yeah, oh, I, I think good on them. And uh, if the service matches the innovation, well and good. Yeah, that's right. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the police had a bit of a bit of a call. I don't know. You see these. I suppose it happens more in the commercial world, doesn't it? Where you get, you know, some big chain international mm. chain store smashing some little small town business in Featherston or somewhere for saying, "Oh, you've ripped off my copyright." Mm. But I guess a bit different. But I think the police might feel at the moment they've got other things to worry about rather than uh, imitation vans driving around town. In fact, on their they, plate. they may even see them as a good deterrent. Yeah, fair call, fair call. We are going to be talking about gangs uh, a little later in the programme this afternoon. But what else has been on your mind, uh, Peter Dunn? What have you been thinking about? Well, I've been listening to the debate that's been going on over the last few weeks about whether or not we should bring back an overnight sleeper train service between uh, Wellington and Auckland. And uh, the more I think about it, the more 
I become attracted to the idea. Um, I can remember using the old silver star in the day, and that made me think about some of the problems that are associated with it. Um, for a start, if you're going to have an overnight sleeper service to attract that overnight business clientele that mightn't want to be up to catch the red eye, it's got to be reliable time-wise. And the thing I remember about the old Silver Star was that it wasn't all that reliable time-wise. You could be delayed up to a couple of hours on a trip if the circumstances were right, which raises the next question. Uh, Kiwi Rail, I think, is going to have to change its operating model if it's going to get into this role because it's primarily a freight carrier and freight has priority on all its lines. And consequently, the risk is that a passenger train will be uh, sidelined or slowed down if there's a freight train going through. So I think that if you're going to make a move in this direction, you need to start to think about changing the operating model to be much more friendly towards passenger rail transport services. And the final thing I'd say is yeah. they've got a great opportunity at the moment with the high cost of internal airfares. If they can structure, could structure a package at a competitive price and these other matters could be resolved, then the, the sort of the romantic dream people have of the overnight train might be a goer. Yeah, it does sound good. We could just get the Japanese to do it for us, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't we? I don't well, know I think that's another, another issue. If you, you'd have to you probably have to contract out to an outside provider to provide the service, in which case they'd have to have a guaranteed slot on the line and not find that they're pushed into a siding to make way for a freight express. So, you know, these they're not insurmountable issues, mm. but they are ones that would be critical to the effectiveness of any return of such a service. Georgina, do you like a, a train journey? That's quite a nice way to travel, isn't it? Well, I'm... An awful flyer. I'm a very, very nervous flyer, so I'd much rather take the train up. But I, I worked with Shane Jones on the Provincial Growth Fund, so I, I'm, I've got PTSD when it comes to doing anything in rail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what's been occupying your mind this week? So I've been thinking about we're, what, about 100 days away from the election, and we are seeing already that the campaign feels feels on um, already, but I think... It's, it's too easy to forget that people are doing it incredibly tough right now. I um, was at my local supermarket last week and I, I saw a woman, she was at the checkout, and she'd, I'd noticed her going around the store with her uh, calculator app out and she got up to the checkout, checkout, two young children in the trolley, and she started putting items back. It actually just broke my heart. And I think, yeah. I know Treasury hate it, but I would really love to see someone with enough political courage to say, uh, sorry Treasury your view is not the only one that counts and maybe take GST off those household staples and and fresh food and we're also well overdue a tax free threshold which I think is something that would make a very meaningful difference Mm. to people on low income Mm. We've got got a former revenue minister with us so I will get (laughs) to that I will will get to that in a second but but, but just to stick with the emotion for a second because I have been seeing this a lot too Mm. you know and it, it, it really is extraordinary. We're living in a time where, you know, you do. You watch people put the cucumber back because what's your price point on a cucumber? Well, Am I going right. to pay $6 for a cucumber? And no, I'm not. Cauliflower goes back too. Um, and, and in go the barbecue shapes and, and the two-minute noodles. Mm. And, yeah, it's... Um, I was always anti this idea. I'd like to hear from you, Peter Dunn, on this because we're always told, you know, keep the tax system clean. Mm. And I get all the purer stuff. And, and, and I had to say I had quite a bit of sympathy with that. And he's watched the Aussies and they've been ex- exempting this, that, and mm. the next thing. And then everyone wants to exempt the next thing. Is it sanitary, whatever. And so you get into this argument. But, gee, with something so basic to uh, health as food, what do you reckon as a former revenue minister? Could we do it? I don't think we could. I mean, it's been looked at many times, and the, the problem in the end is not is not the sentiment, but it's the practicality of where you draw the line as to what's a fresh food, what's a processed food, what's uh, you know somewhere in between. 
Can I come to uh, the second point, though, regarding the tax-free threshold? I've got more sympathy for that. But I have to say the problem with that is, is the cost. It's a massive revenue drain. And you might say, well... Okay, you make up what you lose, which is about four billion, I think, if you mm. if you made the first ten thousand um, uh, tax free, you you reclaim from people at the top end of the scale. The problem you, is you give it to multimillionaires as well, though, don't you? Because well, they this, get the first ten k tax free yeah, as well, the, right? Well, you, you, well, that's another issue. But the problem oh. is there aren't enough multimillionaires around to fund the shortfall. You know, you know, so you sort of get into a problem of what's got to give. I think there's scope for a more modest tax free threshold. And I think there's scope also for reforming your tax bans so that, that you can um, even out some of the consequences. But the simple idea of, well, you take from the bottom, to, sorry, you give to the bottom by taking from the top. Um, unlike most countries, our t- income distribution is not a bell curve. It's more like a comet, a long, thin line with a few at the top. And, mm. you know, that's, that's I, always going to... I remember Georgina putting that question to Winston Peters mm. about the, um, you know, GST off uh, fruit and vegetables. I said, oh, how are you going to define it? And he said, it'll be food your grandma would recognise. Well, there you go. There's the list. That list writes itself. <laughs> it's a good line. No, I, I don't know. We, we've written it off as impossible, but I I don't know. I had what? clients in town last 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 week from, from Sydney, which we would think is, is being a, a, a fairly um, affluent, expensive mm. place. And they commented on, on how expensive everything seemed. And I even received a, a picture of, of a cauliflower. You mentioned the, the humble collie, but it was three bucks over there. Mm. I had a quick look today. We're paying six. This yeah. is double yeah. the price. Oh, it's too much for me yeah. at six. I, I, I think I'm that, out that's six, actually but. the core problem here. We've gone through massive food price inflation over the last couple of years. And you look at Australia. I was in the UK recently looking at you know similar similar sorts of things there. That's the issue is how we get our basic food costs down. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're, gonna, we're, we're talking food. We're going to be talking house prices and housing crisis uh, soon. Um, so uh, keep listening. Guy and Espinar on the panel with Peter Dunn and Georgina Stiliani today.